fucking call my fucking three times? Welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode 22, year one. Today, we're going to talk about my week, what I did, what I didn't do. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world. We have a great, amazing interview with WPT host, Mr. Vince Van Patten, as we talk about his new movie, Seven Days to Vegas. So buckle up, stay tuned, here on The Mouthpiece. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 22 of The Mouthpiece. Interesting week. Uh, we started off on, uh, let's see, Monday. It was uh, it was just a, a really hectic weekend with, uh, you know, the whole Postal stuff, all the backlash I was getting. I was watching the baseball playoffs. We could talk about that. Uh, this is something very passionate to me. Uh, I'm a diehard Dodger fan, and uh, I watch my Dodgers. I lose, and I watched Dave Roberts for the third year in a row give it away. He gave away the World Series in 2017 in Game 2 when he went all out burning up the bullpen when he had the best bullpen in baseball for no reason. He panicked and gave away the 2017 World Series. And uh, in 2018, last year, uh, now I think Boston was a better team and they probably would have won anyways, but... Uh, he pulls Rich Hill, who's th- thrown a masterpiece with a four to one lead in the, I think it was seventh or eighth inning. It's one of the two. Then he gives up the floodgates with the bullpen. Gives they lose that game, and if he leaves Rich Hill in, it would have been two games to two last year. And who knows what happens? The Dodgers will go back to Boston down three one, knowing they can't win. If they go back to Boston two two with all the momentum, everything is different. So. Does Boston win? I say they were the better team, probably. But we don't know, you know. They went back to Boston after grenading a game they had won. Down 3-1 with their heads dejected. They go back to Boston at 2-2 with all the momentum. Everything is different. So I accused Roberts of giving away last year. And uh, what he did Wednesday, uh, I I, I mean... uh, it's just unforgivable. I mean, I don't even understand it. I mean, you bring Kershaw in to face the lefty. He did his job. Bottom of the seventh, got the lefty. You have Maeda, who has been unhittable. You bring him in the eighth. You bring Jansen in the ninth, and we're off to the next series. What went through this motherfucker's mind to put Kershaw back out there against their two best fucking hitters is mind-boggling to me. Kershaw wants to take all the blame, but it's not his fault. It's the manager's fault. How do you bring Kershaw in to start the eighth? Maeda, you saw when Kershaw came out, Maeda got him one, two, three. I mean, the guy's been unhittable. There's no fucking excuses. If they don't, if they don't fire Dave Roberts by week's end, I am going to... Go crazy. And it just, as a diehard Dodger fan, that's it. They fucking let him get away with giving away the World Series in 2017. They let him get away with last year. This they can't let him get away with. This is fucking pitching 101. If I'm a manager of this fucking team, listen, I don't know that much about baseball, but I know how to manage pitchers, okay? Let him, let somebody do all all the good stuff he does for the Dodgers and then bring somebody in that knows how to manage a pitching staff in the World Series, let alone these fucking analytics with homer or strikeout or bust does not work in the postseason. The Atlanta Braves showed that in game four. They had the leadoff double that and A-Rod and Poppy said it right on the broadcast. This is not, take you throw all the analytics out the window. Okay, this is postseason baseball. You have to manufacture runs. You're up against the best pitchers in the game. If they would have bunted them over, they they then would have got the sack fly, got the extra run, and Atlanta would have been off to the National League Championship Series. These are both managers gave away the series, and 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 Rodriguez says on on the broadcast, he goes, if Atlanta loses this series, 
they have nobody to blame but themselves by the manager not bunting him over. He goes, he says, I don't care what the analytics say. We were brought up, and same with me, I was brought up, same thing. You gotta bunt people over in 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 baseball playoffs. Look at Kansas City in 2015, then 2014. They when they won the back-to-back World Series. This team won games by by walking, stealing bases, bunting people over with a great bullpen. Okay? That's how you win in October. You have to fucking manufacture runs. And the Braves and the Dodgers are now officially out because their managers suck. And the Dodgers are going to have to really look in to doing something beside home run or bust in the postseason because uh, you got to get hits. You got to move people over. I mean, I mean, even the, when Bellinger, think about the sixth inning of game five, Bellinger gets the leadoff single. He steals second. Okay. If they bunt him over to third, they would have scored the fourth run on the next guy that popped out. But no, they didn't do it. They left them stranded at second, trying to hit for the fences. And again, that cost them another run, which cost them the game. I just, the managers are so bad. And what, what Dave Roberts did is, I just, how can he bring Kershaw back out in the eighth? I mean, this is, I just don't get it. I just, I mean, uh, one thing my brother was tweeting about before, he said, as soon as he brought Kershaw back out in the eighth, he goes, game over, we lose. He goes, this guy's the worst. This guy, and he was going crazy on Twitter. And, I'm, you know, my brother, he likes to be negative all the time. So I'm like, stop with the negativity. Even after they tied it, he's like, we lose. I'm like, stop with the negativity because, you know, I've been telling you guys in my life, I'm trying to stay positive, always think positive, always think positive thoughts. You know, deep down in my mind, I knew we were fucked, but I kept trying to, you know, try and be positive. Uh, maybe it's it was kind of funny, but, but uh, you know. And then let's go, let, let, let's even go even further. After he doesn't bring Maeda in the eighth and the Kershaw gives up the two home runs and then Maeda comes in and gets three straight outs. Now he brings Kelly in to start the ninth. Kelly gets him one, two, three. Kelly has not pitched two innings the entire fucking season. Why would you put Kelly back out to start the 10th? Why not go with your closer and Jansen, okay? And even if you don't, as soon as the first guy gets on base in the 10th inning, you take you bring in Jansen. How does he leave Kelly? I was going crazy. I'm like, you can't give Kelly another batter after the first guy got on. Then the next guy got on. I'm like, dude, you got to a second and third. I'm like, you got to take Kelly out. You got to bring a strikeout pitcher in. You got to bring Jansen. No, he left Kelly in the fucking... Walk him and hit the grand slam. This fucking manager needs to be fired. I don't give a fuck. This is another wasted fucking season as a diehard Dodger fan. Okay, so that's what went on this week a little bit. It was uh, Yom Kippur, high holidays, Jewish holidays, um, Day of Atonement. I um, fasted. I did my actually watched uh, the um, services on uh, on my television in my room. Had my talus on, my kippah on, was a good Jew. Uh, tried to do my best. And, um, you know, uh, and I like to always say this to everybody. Uh, people don't know Jewish religion, you know. Day of Atonement is kind of uh, you try and atone for the sins you've done or the wrongs you've done people over the last year. Um, so for everybody, all the listeners out there, if, uh, for anything I've done wrong to anybody or uh said things that I maybe shouldn't have said. I uh, try and ask for forgiveness and try and become a better person. So uh, that's kind of like what I've been doing this week. I'm going to be playing in a little 50-100 no-limit game with Alan Keating. He invited me to play this Saturday. Uh, His game's always good, and uh, we've become pretty good acquaintances lately, and hopefully we'll become better friends. And he'll get me into some of these great games that he is in, and uh, hopefully I'll win. It's a it's a small game for him, uh, but so he, that's why he invited me. It's a fifty a hundred game, no limit game, uh, and uh, I'm probably going to. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to sell half myself to Phil or not. Uh, I probably will because I mean, me and Phil are just so lucky together. I don't even. It's really, a, it's really, I don't know how to explain it. Um, 
Uh, I don't know if it's chemistry. I don't know if it's karma. I don't know what it is, but but every time Phil buys half of me in a game and, and we don't argue about it and we just say, yes, I want half, and he's like confident in me, dude, I never lose. It's unbelievable how much money I've made this guy. Like he doesn't even have to fucking get his endorsements or work. He could just put me in games, the amount of money I've made this guy. So, uh, you know, and I, but I appreciate his help, you know, and, uh, I don't want to make the mistakes I made before. You know, I finally got myself a little bankroll. Um, it's not a big bankroll, but it's a little bankroll and I want to protect it and not give my chance of taking a big loss, even though I'll probably win. Uh, and then I'll probably put another 15,000 in Phil's pocket. But uh, that's okay. Um, I gotta, I gotta just do the right things, not make mistakes like I've done in the past. And um, my goal is uh, to build a bankroll to about two hundred fifty thousand, and then after that, every quarter I win. After that, I'll just be calling people, telling people pick up this money, pick up that money, and then if I take a loss, then I just wait till I get back to two fifty. And then I'll, as soon as I get out in front again, I'll just be paying everybody off. So it's uh, time for my pick of the week. My pick of the week is brought to you by my bookie. Um, if uh, all you DJs out there that listen to the podcast want to bet a little bit of sports, or if you want to play craps, roulette, any casino games, because I know you're all sick. Uh, go to mybookie.ag, enter promo code mouthpiece. That's mybookie.ag, promo code mouthpiece. You'll get a 200% deposit bonus for up to a thousand bucks. So uh, they supported the show. So uh, anybody wants to gamble a little bit, sports or whatever, give them a shout out. Mybookie.ag, promo code mouthpiece. Okay. Um, my pick of the week. I've been really, really studying this, and I'm going with. I took the New York Jets plus eight and a half. Now it's down to seven in a lot of places uh, on my um, pick'em contest uh, that I have to pick ten games. Uh, it's eight and a half, um, so that's what I go by. So uh, that'll be my pick of the week. Um, I think plus seven is still good. If you could find some seven and a half, lay a dollar twenty. I like it. Uh, Dallas is three and two. They beat three complete the three maybe the three worst teams in the league. Cupcakes. They lost two weeks in a row. They're playing a, a an zero and four Jets team that is desperate for a win that is getting their starting quarterback back uh, at home. I, I just can't see Dallas laying double digits here. I mean, I might be wrong. Um, so that's my pick of the week. Um, my alternate pick of the week, in case you want to go with something else, is um, the uh, Denver Broncos I don't know why the line's gone from two and a half to two, so it kind of scares me a little bit. I got to check into the um, injury situations on that. I think Denver's, you know, they're one and four and and uh, take away a couple Flacco late picks, a couple missed kicks, and uh, you know, Denver easily could be four and one. Every game's been a every game's been a, a field goal game or less, so. Uh, you know, I kind I, I'm kind of leaning on them a little bit, but uh, I I don't know. I I've looked at this uh, schedule. It's a, it's gonna be a tough week. Uh, they're all they're always tough. Later in the year, once once everybody uh, figures out the lines, they get tough. But uh, I I I just can't see you uh, not taking the points with the Jets at home. It just it just seems like the right play here. Cleveland getting two against Seattle. I mean, I just how many times is Seattle going to go cross country for the early game and keep winning? I mean, this looks like a good spot for Cleveland too. Pick of the week. We are now two and three. We're going to get to three and three this week with the Jets plus the points. 
and uh, I feel real confident in that one. Uh, not an all-in type of bet like week one was. Uh, that's actually been my only really love bet. I guess I like Miami against New England. Just shit the bed there too, but uh, that's about it. Up next, we have an exclusive interview with the voice of the WPT, Mr. Vince Van Patten. And we're going to talk about the WPT as well as his new movie, Seven Days to Vegas. We'll be back with Vince Van Patten. The Mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. It's time for our favorite time of the show, our phone call segment. Let's hear what my fans have to say today. Let's light up the lines. Welcome to the mouthpiece. is Mike. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Who's this? Uh, this is Kerry uh, Kittles on Twitter. Oh, what's going on, buddy? Yeah, are you doing poker or are you doing just straight uh, anything? Uh, we're doing anything. Whatever you want to talk about. I want to talk about the Patriots-Giants game tonight. Did you catch that? Yes, that's a good thing to talk about. Um, can you imagine if you had the Giants plus 16 and a half? I mean, this has to be like a joke, right? That's what I had. I had Giants plus 17. And, Dude, um, I they're down to, I seven. We were half. just talking about this, me and my my producer, man. They were down seven with the ball with eight minutes to go with a chance to tie the game. And I watched the worst turnover I've ever seen, how the guy drops the ball for picked up for a touchdown. And then I saw the interception. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This, this game's going to land 21. I mean, the Giants had a chance to win about two seconds ago. I, I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't agree with you more. I'm looking at the recap right now. The force, the, first of all, the turnovers were – two of the turnovers were complete jokes. Right. Second of all, that that pass interference on Golden Tate after they reviewed it, I can't believe they still called Stan. I mean, how can they not see that he wrapped him up when he was through the ball twenty yards? I have not seen it yet, but I I trust your judgment because I don't understand what they put the rule in for. You know how many times I've seen blatant pass interference on a replay, and they say call stands this year. There's I don't, been I don't, 30, 36 uh, reviews on pass interference, and only what? seven have been overturned. Yeah, seven have been overturned, and I think more like 17 should have been overturned. You know? Um, I, I, know. I don't know if they're trying to protect the referees. I'm not too sure. They I just don't listen. For a reason, yeah. and they're not using that implement correctly. The worst, You know what's worst about that game is I had three suicide picks left, and— and I have all three of my New Englands left. And eight, only 83 of the 329 had New England. But I forgot about the Thursday game. And so when they were down by only up seven and Giants had the ball, I'm like, God, if they could just pull this out, this would be like, instead of me out of the contest, it's going to get rid of 83 people. You know what I mean? And I, I, was, I was like pulling for the Giants. And next thing you know, uh, somehow they covered the spread. <laughs> I don't even I mean, know. I mean, it's, it's 21-14 at halftime. I got the Giants plus 17. End of the third quarter, it's still 21-14. It's 21. They stopped them on fourth down and five. They get the ball at at the 40-yard line, uh, their own 40, with a chance to tie the game with 8.29 to go, and somehow the game lands 21. I, I don't even and, I, I and can't just remember. to put the icing on the cake, Tom Brady gets that one-yard touchdown run just the big FU. Oh, at the end you of the game? Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. All right, well, thank, thank you, you for you taking You got it, buddy. Take and, care, uh, man. We'll take you next time. You got it. Bye-bye. Welcome to the mouthpiece. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good, I'm actually buddy. calling you live from one of the large cash games in L.A. It's a 
500, 1,000 uh, mixed game at the Garden. Oh, great. I'm here with some well-known pros who would like to rename, who would like to be named anonymous. Okay. Just want to say we're all big fans of you. Okay, great. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions about the L.A. mixed game scene. Uh, yeah, when do I get a uh, seat in the game you're in? That's my question. You have to talk to me and my uh, co-partner, and uh, you'll you'll get a seat. How All do you right. play certain games? How, how do you play Raz Ducey? How do how, you don't know how to play Raz Ducey? No, I'm I'm asking you. How is your Raz Ducey game? Do you have all the uh, all mean, the I, concepts mastered? I mean, is it regular Raz Ducey or super Raz Ducey? We don't play Raz Ducey. I'm just I'm just. Oh, you're fucking with me. Kidding around with you. It's a it's a five game mix, Mike. What are you guys playing? We are playing Deuce of Seven, Limit Single, Ace of Five, Limit Single. You're playing Deuce the Billy of Seven, game. No Limit. You're playing the Billy. The Billy game. Mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we we just we just added a few games. We're playing Archie now. Okay. Uh, Big O. We play a lot of Big O now. Oh, and good. We're playing. Uh, what's the other game? Who's playing uh, Kenny? One Ken, other game. Is, who's playing Ken? Is Kenny in the game? Kenny and uh... Kenny is not in the game, but oh. there's a. Uh, Two-time bracelet winner. There's a yum yum named Steve Lee. There's a yum yum named Steve Lee, and there's two two-time bracelet winners: Rami, Arby oh, Knight, and oh. Jesse Martin. Oh yeah, tell Jesse I said hi. Tell Rami I said hi. These are good friends of mine. Okay. And oh, uh, and Marco Johnson. Marco. Oh, Marco. No, no, Marco actually. Uh, Marco's losing. He doesn't want to talk right now. Okay. Marco yeah. doesn't win too often. <laughs> <laughs> Marco always used to win when I played with him. Yeah, you know what? Marco, Marco just think. Give Marco the phone. Give Marco, Marco, talk to him, Marco. Respect the game, Marco. What's up, Mikey? What's up, guys? What's up, Marco? Fuck him, man. I'm going to send Marco a little bit of good luck. Just take it what? easy. Uh, take it easy on my boy Rami, man. Rami. We also, we also have accepted a guy back into the mix who uh, was playing in Sacramento who uh-huh. unfortunately uh, made some bad decisions, but we forgive him. His, his name's Mike. Mike Postle? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Mike Postle, but we're letting him play with us today. Uh, just, you know, I feel like uh, we're all Christians, and we feel like uh, there's time for forgiveness. You know? uh, yeah, absolutely. More, Mike, more importantly, can I ask you a couple personal questions? Because you and I don't know each other that well, but yeah. we would like each other. Yeah. But you need to pass, you need to pass my three-layer questionnaire. Okay. Okay? You got it. Go. Did you, did you, fast, did you fast yesterday? Yes. Okay. Wow, well, I'm the only person who did it. Fuck. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's pretty bad. Wait, not only did I fast, uh, but I turned on the Col Nidre service and the afternoon service, had my kippah on and my talis on, and, and did the service all day. From my from my bedroom. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking to Mr. Steve. Hey. hey, shut up. Hello. I've seen you on your TV. I'm the biggest fucking yum yum in this game. Okay. Bring, well, bring I'm, fifty to hundred thousand. Let's I'll, play. All I'll right? be I'll be down uh, to play uh, next week. I have a I have, I'm playing this no limit game with. Uh, uh, who am I playing oh, with, Al, with Alan Keating? You got, you have, you'll have to call Kenny Tran to make arrangements. Yeah, I bet. I kind of figured that. Yeah, you know. But let me tell you something. We all know who the real boss is. His name's Matt. Matt's the boss. A very handsome gentleman from the Beverly Hills neighborhood. Oh well, that's it. Just tell Matt. Just tell him that Mike gets a seat. <laughs> And then I have to sell. I gotta sell half myself to that fucking Helmuth because I make this fucking Helmuth every time I play. I win like twenty, thirty thousand, and he gets half of it. So, hey, Mike. More play importantly, I just want to go on record and say something. If you guys can give me the microphone for one you second, got it. you got the mic. Just all your listeners out there. Yeah. Um, it it didn't strike me at first, but I just want to say Jesse Martin's a very good person, and he's now become a good friend. Yeah, he really okay, is a good person. And I like person. Jesse Martin a lot. He when I first, winner, when I first met Jesse, event, I thought he was a douchebag, too. He's a very good player, and he's yeah. a good person. He's a great person. And he wins every fucking time here. Yeah, he, well, he he's a great player. Yeah, and when Mike, I, first, I love you. I'm a big fan. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Hey, and I'll be Anytime down there to play with you guys. over at my house, you're welcome. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks for calling. The mouthpiece. Okay, everybody. So we've uh, 
got ourselves our first sponsor on this show. Their name is MyBookie, and uh, they're a very reputable company. Uh, they have blackjack, craps, roulette. They have all kinds of other casino games, as well as tons of sports betting for all you degenerates out there. So do me a favor. You listen to the show. Go visit mybookie.ag. Put in the promo code mouthpiece. That's mybookie.ag. Promo code mouthpiece. And you get up to a 200% bonus up to $1,000. So... You spin, you win, get paid only at MyBookie. Up to a $1,000 bonus. That's MyBookie. Enter promo code MOUTHPIECE. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate them supporting the show. Welcome to the Mouthpiece, Mr. Vince Van Patten. How you doing, sir? Mike, Mike, I'm doing great. How's it going? Ah, it's going good, buddy. Uh, Long time uh, no see. Uh, I heard you got a new movie out. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody all about it? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, I wrote a movie. I produced it. I'm acting in it, too. Um, It's called Seven Days to Vegas. And I think uh, gamblers are loving it. It's... um, you can get it on iTunes now and Amazon, among other video on demands. But um, I'll tell you what the story is about. It's a fun comedy. It's like The Hangover meets The Sting. Um, people don't know, but I, I started up a poker game in the 90s uh, in Los Angeles. And it went from a you know nice little game to a very, very big game. And right. uh, everyone played, and it was a lot of fun. And the game is about this game, but it's not about the poker in the game. It was about these people that I played with that are bigger than life, that are fun, that will bet on anything. And over the years, as it grew, we made crazy bets. I'm like you, you know, I make all right. kinds of crazy prop bets. It's just in my blood. It's in my nature. And the craziest bet I ever did make was that I could walk from L.A. to Las Vegas, 280 miles, in seven days. Right. I made a big bet on that, and they all bet against me, and they all came and followed me in this gigantic RV behind me to see if I could do it or not. And that's what Seven Days to Vegas is about. It's a comedy. Some of it's fictionalized. I'm not going to say it's all true. Right. But it's based on the true story of the poker game. And then we go off from there. Oh, well, you know, I saw the movie. I thought it was fantastic. And um, so I want to give you props on that. Uh, and I'm pretty kind of hypocritical about poker movies. I, I was in Lucky You. I thought it was the worst movie ever. Uh, and I've, you know, I've seen a lot of poker movies. And... Um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, take away rounders. I, I This is second best poker uh, gambling movie I've seen. Uh, I thought the script Thank was you, fantastic. Man. And I thought you did a, a really good job acting in it, especially, you know, you probably haven't been in acting in a long time. Uh, going back, like when, before this movie, when was the last time you've really done any acting work? Hey, listen, I think everybody in life acts every day, it seems like. Well, that, yeah, that's you get virtual. by in life. In a way, but you know, listen, I've been gambling since I was a kid, since the 70s. My father taught me how to gamble and play poker and read the racing form. And I grew up and I've had ups and downs in the poker world and in all kinds of forms of gambling because I'll bet on anything. Uh, But I've always had a good time. I've always been able to manage it and take my hits and my losses. And I've always found it's a great spice of life. So I I love that world. And I hang around a lot of people that feel the same way, that it didn't crush that they're not, you know, depressed about the about this lifestyle. But I love that, and I love the genre of movies that have gambling and cons and hustles in it. Right. I mean, I just love movies, and so I figured, listen, if I ever write something, I'm going to write something about the joy, the fun, the ups and downs, the switcheroos. That's what I want to show because it hasn't been done in the gambling movies as much. So that's what Seven Days to Vegas is about. It shows these guys that are bigger than life, that are colorful, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat. It keeps you laughing. And like I said, you can buy it now, rent it, Amazon, iTunes. It's all over the place. Um, Somebody came to us and said, hey, we want to do a TV series about you guys. So we're entertaining that. So it's all been very fun. I'm in, buddy. I'm in if you do a TV series. You'll be one of the guys. You'll be one of the guys and – uh, listen, the poker world's been very good to me, and all all you guys came out to to watch it, and it was well, really well received. And 
It got a great, great review by Richard Roper, um, Chicago Sun-Times, among others. So uh, it's all going good. The poker world came out for you because you've come out for the poker world. I mean, I've said this many times. um, We were there at the beginning. You were there with the very first World Poker Tour event. I'll never forget it. It was in Reno. Uh, And... um, uh, we, we after we filmed it, then we were all in this little room watching the coverage when it came out. Because back then they would, you know, we'd film it and then, then we'd have, whatever it was. And I remember we were like, "Well, is this gonna work? What do you guys think?" And because we didn't, you know, there was no whole car cams back then. There was no pretty much nothing. So uh, it, we were a little skeptical, but we all said, well, if we all work hard at it and we go from place to place, it, hopefully it'll, it'll catch on, pick up steam. And, and uh, I've said it many times. I mean, uh, we started off on the first WPT. I think there was like 30 of us. Then there was 60. Then there was 100. And, uh, you know, it, it built itself. Now, you know, a lot of people want to give all the credit to the poker boom to Moneymaker and I just don't think it's fair. I think that without, it was a combination. I think it was, a, you know, they don't give the World Poker Tour enough credit. Do you agree with that? Uh, I, I think if you really study it, you got it. Steve Lipscomb was the CEO of World Poker Tour, and he was the guy to say, I'm going to do a show about poker, and I'm going to show the cards. Right. And everybody kind of laughed at him, and then he hired Mike Sexton, and then they brought me in, and then we do the shows. Now, look, I was commentator in the 98 World Series event right. when Scotty won one. I commentated that. And right. no one... I backed, I backed you know, him that year, by that. the way. <laughs> no one cared. That's, that's right. You did pretty well, right? That year. Yeah. Um, but no one cared. No one because you couldn't see the cards. It right. wasn't until World Poker Tour actually showed the cards for the first time, like you said back in 2002, that right. people, the viewers went, oh my God. Right. These guys are geniuses. Look what they just did. They had nothing and they bet all those chips. Right. What is this game? And right. so it shocked the whole world. Me and Mike Sexton, we thought, oh, we'll get this gig. We'll do it for three or four weeks. It'll be gone. Little did we know this explosion was about to happen. Right. And then, of course, Chris Moneymaker, right after that, scored and, you know, just did a fantastic job. Everybody loved Chris Moneymaker. Right. And he made it so exciting that the everyman could come out of the woodwork and make it happen. And then World Series jumped on and they did their, their camera and they right. did a great job with that. So everybody joined in and. Hey, listen, it's 18 seasons later. It yeah. is still going strong. Guys like you that have great personalities and great games and speak their mind, yeah. make it exciting. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of guys like you and um, and Helmuth and all, all the boys that, that really have these big personalities that really help it and it really helps it grow. Yeah. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, it's something that sticks in my mind. I always tell people was when Moneymaker was they were down at like three or four, uh, me and Eric Seidel, uh, I think it was one other person I forgot, but we went to this uh, Thai restaurant right around the corner from Binion's, and I said to Eric, uh, I said, man, can you believe another idiot's going to win the World Series? And he says to me, I'll never forget his words, he says to me, if this guy wins the World Series, you are going to be rich beyond your imagination. I go, you think so? He goes, I know so. So um, he saw it at that dinner beforehand because he kept thinking a guy named, first of all, let's be honest. Did you ever in a million years think there's a guy with a last name named Moneymaker (laughs) and that this guy is going to win the biggest gambling event in the world? I mean, I, I, I mean, that in itself just is bizarre. You know what I mean? Uh, a, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was game. a joke. Sure. I'm like, what? The guy's name yeah. Moneymaker. I mean, that's his nickname. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. swear yeah, I was yeah, saying yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, a lot of people don't know a little bit about it. Let me tell you a little bit about yourself. So you grew up as a gambler. Your dad was a big gambler, uh, poker player. He also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for a couple of seasons, did the ESPN broadcast of the World Series. Um, he grew to fame with Eight is Enough. And uh, tell us a little bit about your family growing up. Yeah, okay. My father was Dick Van Patten. And like you said, 
Um, he had a big TV series, and he and he went to the racetrack every day. And uh, he taught me how to gamble when I was a little kid. My father was a terrific actor. He did 26 Broadway plays on top of all of that. But he only worked as an actor so he could have the cash, so he could run to the racetrack and play poker at night. That yeah. was it. Okay, so this acting thing, he didn't have to study. He did that so he had cash, so he could gamble. He loved gambling so much. Yeah. And uh, I got that in my blood. So he taught me how to read the racing form. And uh, we moved out to California from New York when I was 12 years old. And then he used to have two or three poker games a night in the little apartment we lived in, in Sherman Oaks, um, and I would watch him play. I studied the game and watched him play. And believe it or not, at age 15, he said, hey, Vinny, he goes, you're pretty good. Yes, he's watching in the hallway. You could play in our game. And I went, really? He goes, yeah, you made some money from acting as a kid after this. <laughs> play, you'll do well. So I, I play in my father's games for three or four years, and I'm playing with... You know, it was a pretty big game back then. Yeah. When, you know, you could win or lose fifteen hundred, two thousand. Yeah. And I was doing well. And uh, funny story, one night I was playing with all these grown-ups, and I was winning all the money. And you're supposed to quit at one. And of course, no one wants to quit when everyone's losing. <laughs> no, we never. Seven thirty in the morning. Seven thirty <laughs> in the morning. And all of a no. sudden, I have all the chips. I'm the big winner. I go, guys, I'm really sorry, but I gotta go. And they all looked at me and they said, "What are you talking about? You're not going anywhere." I know. I said, "I got to go to school. I got to go to school." Right? It, and then funny. they all looked at each other. <laughs> you know, you say seven thirty in the morning. I can't tell you how many times we said we're quitting at one o'clock in in the morning, yeah. and we quit one o'clock in the morning two days later. I mean, I, I, I mean, know. Back in, I know. nowadays, hey, like 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 I don't. I try not to play the long hours. That, well, my body just can't hold up anymore, but. But, like, I've done probably at least 20, 36-hour sessions, and I'm not going to lie, you feel like death for two days. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, to I totally you feel understand. feel horrible, but if you win, you kind of, it doesn't matter. If you had a nice win, you, but if you lose, you take a bad beat after a three-day session, I'm telling you, you're That's right, brutal. you can jump off a bridge. Yeah. Bad, you know? Yeah, it's funny. But, we uh, were... Listen, one of the gambling story. one of the gambling stories I'll tell you about, uh, I was such a degenerate at 16 <laughs> when I got my driver's license. I love this. Gardena, California. You could play poker at Gardena. You would have to deal yourself. But I wanted to go there so bad, I had a phony beard and mustache made up. I would <laughs> stick this thing on me, drive down to Gardena by myself and play and deal poker. And I did pretty well. I would play the game. And then like I would go to Vegas with the beard and mustache. <laughs> and me and my buddy, Daryl <laughs> Goldman, and we went there. With $20 worth of change in the middle of the night. My parents didn't know where the heck we were. Mm. We go in there, we think we're going to break the house, we're going to play slots. Within 25 minutes, first of all, he put the goatee on, I put the mustache on. We look like two little freaks, right? <laughs> but we get away with it for over 21. So Within an hour, we lose all our cash, all the coins are gone. And I look at my car to drive back, no gas, right? So I go, what the heck are we going to do? we gotta, we got to get back. We have no money. The fountain at the MGM Grand. We literally looked in the fountain. I said, oh, my goodness, there's some coins in there, man. Let's, no. let's go no. in. No. So five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we took the jeans up, and we got in there. We got $5 worth of coins, oh and that got God. enough gas money to go back to L.A. That's how I drove back to L.A. That's, That's so story. funny. You know, you know, you bring up, like, the mustache, whatever. I, you know, like I talk about, like, people don't know, like, Phil Ivey used to come go into the Taj Mahal uh, under the name Jerome, and, and he had a fake ID, and he was a world-class stud player. I mean, that's all he played, and people don't even know that. They, they look at him as an all-around great player, which he is, and they look at him as a no-limit hold'em player, but this guy was a world-class stud player that played when he was like from 16 to like 21 under under the name Jerome. It's pretty, you know, so, pretty funny. so he did get away. He was playing uh, underage, but he, he, he got away with it. He must have looked older than... Uh, well, no, he had a fake ID. Uh, but he had Back a fake then ID. in those days, it was easy ID. to get a fake yeah, ID. Yeah. That's yeah, nowadays you can't... Uh, like, even me, at 18 years old, I'll never forget, uh, You like, everybody had a fake ID, and they're like, well, how do you get one? I'm like, well, you get, you know, a friend's birth certificate is 21, you memorize all this stuff, and you go down. So I, this guy, his guy's name was Tom. He, like, gave me his birth certificate, and I memorized his 
address. I even did his signature like 20 times. And I went straight to the DMV and got an actual ID under this guy's name. Now, you can't do that now. Now you go in, they take your picture. They don't, they don't have that plastic thing that seals it anymore. It goes right to Carson City. And then they give you an ID. And then you have to go through a scanner, an ID scanner, a yeah. signature yeah. scanner. So you can't do that anymore. But it was pretty easy when I was growing up. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there's nothing like it, too. To be playing gambling, if you love to be, you know, if you love gambling, if, if you could get in there a little underage and you're playing, it was the most exciting day of your life. And yeah. It was just a thrill. And the thing was, so, uh, is anyway, I, I grew up somebody that was really anti-gambling. And I, like I said, I tell the story how I got into poker. And a lot of people would ask, well, who in your family played cards? And I look back, and when my grandfather, when I was like seven, eight years old, we would, he always played with my dad, Pinochle. And they, all they did yeah. is play Pinochle. And I used to watch yeah. them play. So he, my dad used to always tell me my grandpa was just a great Pinochle player. So that's probably where I got my card sense. So I, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, you know, you said a lot of people don't realize you're a child actor. Um, like what, is there any specific movies or that people could watch you in as a child actor? Because I'm kind of interested to look uh, at you know what? Thank you. you. Don't really want to do that. It goes. It go way back. I, I mean, I. If you go that um, Me Too, it's called not Me Too. It's uh, whatever Me Too. It's called. Uh, Is that a movement? Old, <laughs> 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 it's a, I think that came out wrong. But I love station, it. that old station, and you see all those Barnaby Jones and uh, Bonanzas and you name it. I was in yeah. a ton of things. I was the Bionic Boy. I, right. I did a ton of movies. And uh, but uh, and anyway, I gave that all up. I kind of got washed up when I was about 18 and 19 years old uh, after doing pretty well. And then I went on the tennis circuit. Yeah, tell her. Broke through on the tennis circuit. Tell yeah, everybody about yeah, your tennis. You're a world-class tennis player. Uh, tell yeah, everybody, yeah, like, yeah. people don't realize how good you were. I remember when yeah. you were ranked in the top 25, I think. Am I right? Yeah, Mike. I, I, I was a lousy junior. I never thought I could do anything in tennis. But out of desperation and getting beat so bad by everybody, <laughs> and told that I couldn't do it. I just kept pushing, 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 and I broke through in 1979, and I became the Association of Tennis Professionals ATP Rookie of the Year, yeah. and I beat 10 of the guys in the top 10, and I beat John McEnroe a couple times, and I won the biggest indoor tournament in the world over in Japan. So wow. I did that whole life for 10 years. It was shocking. It was wonderful. And then I came back to L.A. after that was all over, and started, you know, just getting back into the acting world, not knowing what I was going to do next. I had a little poker game, and the poker game grew and got better and fun, and, and that's where I came up with the idea of, of the movie. If I ever right. going to do a movie, I want to do it about this type of thing. And so Seven Days to Vegas, uh, we wrote about five years ago. Yeah, I was just going to say, somebody, there, somebody told yeah. me it was like five years ago you came up with this idea. You know, I didn't want to write anything um, again, because I made a movie in the mid-'90s, Mm -hmm. uh, and I just had had it, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Uh, and then my wife and I saw a film about five years ago and it was about the Hollywood glamorous life mm -hmm. and we were really anxious to see it and it missed the mark. It wasn't very good. Right. And we were talking about it after I said, it's a shame because I think people like to delve into how the Hollywood people are living, you know, the right. big life and the glamorous life. She goes, that's why you've got to do your story. Right. I said, what? She goes, yeah, your poker game. It's exciting. It's flashy. It's fun. You can make up things. I went, no, no. She goes, you got to do it. She convinced me. So right. my buddy Steve Alp and I sat down. And it takes you know, a few years to write 12 different drafts. Right. You raise the money. You get it done. And that's how and why I did Seven Days to Vegas. Yeah. And like I said, it's out now and it's getting great reaction. And you can get it on iTunes and Amazon, people. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, your wife is a big actress, was, was or, or still is in Hollywood. She was yeah. on like soaps and some some reality TV shows. Uh, which ones were that? Yeah. She's what? a two-time Emmy winner. She's okay. Eileen Davidson, and she's done The Young and the Restless for years. Oh, wow. Uh, she plays my wife movie. And, uh, you know, then she also wow. did a stint for three years at um, uh, the Hollywood Housewives of right. Beverly Hills. Okay. And so she did that for three years, and I was in the background carrying her pocketbook 10 paces behind her, That's which funny. I don't mind. Yeah. And uh, we did that show, and she's terrific in that. She finally had to quit the show. She couldn't take the intensity of it. Yeah. Uh, it's for people like you, Mike. 
Yeah. You would love a show like that. It's Dude. Little guys. Oh know? my god. Like yeah. like that's what like my podcast is like a reality show. You know, I and 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 I just want to be myself. I you know, everybody could spin whatever they want. I want to be authentic. I want people to call me out. I want to call them out. I want to just be me. And like I couldn't even imagine. I remember like when the poker boom happened, right? And I was like this yeah. celebrity. And we went Full Tilt went to Germany and we went on Europe and we were we we came on stage to like smoke and and lights and we were like rock stars in front of hundreds of thousands of people and I said to my I'll never forget I said to myself how can I be famous you know like that's the farthest thing I'd ever wanted to be or thought I could be and I I say to myself my level of fame was at the at the height of the poker room was maybe a D-list celebrity. I mean, uh, what was it? Like, well, you told me that, I think you told me, like, you really wor- didn't live life of a top celebrity, but your wife was somewhat of a top celebrity. Did that have an influence? Like, were people always coming up to you for when you guys were eating, for autographs for her, or, or how would that go? No, I mean, the good thing is we live in L.A., and, and no one really cares that much about celebrities <laughs> unless you're a big, big star, you know? Right, right, right. And right. so we just, we're under the, we're completely under the radar, and you know what, that, that's okay oh, by that's me. Good. I'm yeah, basically right. actually a kind of a shy guy. I don't, I love people, but I got to get to know them a little bit, so I'm totally cool with that. Um, you know, when I was younger, I had great ambitions to do tremendous things and become a big star, and then it doesn't work out that way, but no. I'm, I'm happier than I've ever been in the last 20 years, that's, for sure. Because eventually you say, that that all means nothing. That all means nothing. It's about life and, and, and doing what you like to do and spending Absolutely. time with people you love and your family. That's what I like to do. That's and great. so uh, everything works out good. It's been working, worked out well for us. And you know what? What you just said, family and, and being happy, it took me 50 years, I'm 51, to really figure it out i had to hit that's why i say everything happens for a reason i had to hit rock bottom with the with my health with money with everything to finally see what really matters in life and uh and that and it, that's why it changed me into a better person so i had millions yeah. and would come home crying every day because i was so depressed you know and now i have close to well i'm finally getting a little bit on my feet but and I'm 10 times more happier than when I had millions. So it's uh, money don't yeah. make you happy. It's uh, you got to find the, the fine things in life that make you happy. That's so, right. That's right. you know, I'm going to ask you uh, a couple things. Uh, if you can draw your memory without having a, to uh, knock anything, anyone or anybody, I'm going to ask you two questions. What was your most exciting WPT final table that you remember and what was the most annoying where you just couldn't wait for the thing to end? Okay, well, first of all, a lot of good moments on, on the World Poker Tour. Yeah. Uh, but season one, okay. when your buddy Phil Helmuth and our buddy, mm-hmm. Mr. Raw Deal now for World Poker Tour, he, in the second, third tournament, I think up at Lucky Chances, I was there. Took a. You were there. You were, I finished seventh. The I bubbled the final you table. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. But. Yeah. Remember, Phil took a beat, and he didn't like it, and all of a sudden he went, oh, damn it, how can he do that? And he crumbled to the ground and, and rolled up in a fetal position, and it was the best television you could And Antonio have. was laughing and making so much fun <laughs> of him. I'll never forget it, because I think, I think Antonio got third or second, and Phil got fourth, because I rem- I do remember it like it was yesterday, because I, I, you know what I remember the most about that lucky chances, is we were all watching football, and Atlanta uh, Falcons and Pittsburgh Steelers played to a tie, and that was back when there was no ties. It was like the second tie in yeah. like 12 years. It was like, I think it was like 38-38, and we were all laughing, watching the game, why... Uh, why we were doing that tournament. So that's what I remember yeah. that lucky yeah. chances, just this little hey. card room about the size of my living room in the middle of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty uh, funny. It was great. And it was a great moment for Phil six foot six to be rolled up in the ball. And you know, he became a, he was a big star there, but just his personality makes him a superstar, really right. fun. 
Uh, and then I think we went to Paris that same year, and there was a, a man, an older gentleman that was at the final table, and every time he would win a, a hand or a pot, he would yell out, the, the Isle of Crete! The Isle of Crete! That was, was that then, was that the know. final table Tony G was at at Aviation Club? Yes, and then I Tony remember. G. Yeah. Tony was so funny. He was, yeah, he's he crazy. You, you know, you take the if you lose this part now, you're going to have to ride your little bicycle home, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, he would insult people so beautifully. He was I mean, so bad. Funny. He wanted the thing was is so funny is he wanted to make himself a star. I'll never forget. And and sometimes he took it a little bit too far. But I look back at Tony G. You know, he's a nice guy, and it's so funny that it was only. 2000, I remember it yesterday, 2009, so 10 years ago, when Full Tilt sent me to Lithuania to do a broadcast for for one of their uh, show, European shows, and um, yeah. uh, uh, Tony, I, I, it was on Super Bowl Sunday, and Tony G's like, come over, my. it's like three in the morning, come over, you can watch the Super Bowl over here, and I'm just like... I just got a link on my computer, which back then, you know, computers were, it was tough to get a link. And I, I had to go through like, I don't even know how many links to get one to come in. Uh, and I, I was like the only one willing to go there for it. But I remember like, and now like Tony G, you know, he, he bought Poker News, which turned it into this big money maker. Then he run political office and, you know, the thing, you know, uh, I'm broke and he's worth like tens and tens of millions, <laughs> which is, uh, it's uh, I, uh, that's my own my own doing, of course. Uh, but that's but, but uh, you're happy. That's all. I am. But listen, you're happy. Listen. So there you go. Everyone makes <laughs> mistakes. I look back. Like I said, I used to tell people all the time. They used to say, "What do you do with all the money you make playing poker?" I said, "What do you think I do? I play higher." <laughs> <laughs> that was my answer. I didn't. I, I'm, on, I'm like, why would I? Why would I invest it in something that I could lose in when I couldn't yeah. lose in poker? And you know, because my girl always yeah. asked me, why didn't you have investments? I'm like, I didn't need to invest. I was unbeatable. You know what I mean? So right, right, uh, back right. then, my skill level, which was. I mean, I still think I'm one of the best players in the world, uh, but there's so many people that play great now. But my skill level back then was so many levels higher than the average people that I played with that I just printed whatever I wanted. It was uh, how much it yeah, just depended yeah. on what people were willing to lose. I was going to win. So, uh, you know, right. uh, and it, and yeah. not let my ego, yeah, that let my ego get the best of me. And, uh, and uh, then when things, you know, it, it took, I tell people that's my favorite quote is egos will break you, cards will make you stay humble, you know, stay humble. Yeah. You know, it's a really sure. important thing because when, when we all get a whole lot of money and things are going well, it, it's real easy to think you're better than you are. And it's real easy to, to, to not look at the big picture. And unfortunately, it took me a little bit too many years to figure out the big picture, but at least now I have, and I'm still pretty young, and that's all that matters, you know? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Uh, what was your most annoying final table? Can you think of one where you and Mike were just sitting there thinking, God, when is this going to end? A lot of people said what well, has to be the 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 uh, uh, Jonathan Little uh, the head-up match that went to like 3, 4 a.m., that has to be one of the most annoying ones. But do you do you have any others that stick out? I, I can't remember specifically. I think there was one tournament in L.A. I forget it was at the Bike of the Commerce. Mm-hmm. And the player, this is before the action clock. And by the way, thank yeah. God for that action clock. No we shit. Love it. I love it. Everybody does. Yeah. Not best. But there was a guy, I think Bill something, I forget, but he would take on every decision four or five minutes. Oh, my God. And it was lasting all night. And he didn't deserve to take those those times right. we looked at his cards after and not at all so he was just milking it that was aggravating right. but there's a lot of aggravating ones and sometimes we were really really tired mike and i right. and i saw him doze off literally doze off <laughs> uh, snoring at the table <laughs> and I'd have, I'd, I'd have to kick him <laughs> and go, oh yeah sorry my aunt's out sorry and at times he had to do the same to me i dozed off i i'm not too proud to say you know what are you gonna do but the thing about the World Poker Tour is we cut it later. So you can, you can take a little snooze every once in a while, but you want to cut it all later, and it'll all work out fine. But generally speaking, um, most of it's a lot of fun. Some tournaments, yeah, they just go on nine, ten hours for that final yeah. table. You know, that was yeah. crazy. But now they are moving it along with that action clock. 
like I said, and uh, and they uh, and they moved the lo- most of final final tables to this uh, arena in Vegas, right? Yep. What what's it called? East that Sports Arena. Yeah, East Sports uh, Arena. Hyper X Esports Arena at the Luxor. It's fantastic. And now I've had Tony Dunst for the last couple of years, right. and he's doing a terrific job. Okay. Mike Sexton had to leave and go to party poker. Right. And Tony's terrific and a good analyst, and we're having some fun. Yeah. And by the uh, way, we're actually it's kind of funny because Tony and I are born on the same day, same wow. birthday, October seventeenth. What? Yeah, about yeah, 40, yeah. 40 years difference. Thirty years. <laughs> 65 years difference, you know, I'm, I'm 80 and he's 20. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but a great guy, and we're having fun, and it's season 18, so I can't complain. I would, You know, I'd never watch poker on TV unless I'm on it or somebody I know real close is on it. But yeah. I just, last night, after the baseball game on Fox Sports 1, I I was busy doing some homework and for the podcast and stuff, and uh, the World Poker Tour comes on, and it comes on from World Poker Tour Uruguay. Now, I had never heard you or Tony together or listening, and, and everybody at the table is speaking in Spanish, and, and, the, and some of the plays that were being played, I'm just like, we're like weird, and in listening to you guys trying to, to uh, analyze some of the plays that people made was kind of funny. It was like, uh, okay, uh, I think he's going to go all in here. Nope, he called got raised and he folds and it's just it was so funny like you guys would say i think this is he's got to make this kind of bet here and then the guy would either fold or limp and i was just laughing because it's like you guys yeah get you're like it's like from that you know a lot of people from that part of the world now the world poker tour has expanded worldwide you know you're not going to see quality that much quality at the final table a lot of these final tables i mean in brazil you will and spain you will but like some of these small places you know you're just not going to and it was really interesting watching you guys try and analyze some of these hands the best you guys could and i thought you guys did a good job you know so well thank you you know the key to um being commentators, I believe it's not yeah. really just it, it's to have a good time, just to try to have the audience enjoying it. I don't want to have to be the expert that right. says, you know, that uh, just a handful of players like that, the real poker people, they love to analyze it like that. But basically, if we can find a little humor in there or yeah. make it interesting, uh, that's what I want to try to do. I'm commentating uh, at least. Well, I tell people all the time, I, you know, some, I didn't know this. I always thought you do a great job. And I remember when uh, you got a little upset with me at Bay 101 when I was joking around with you. And then Mike, Mike got mad at me and he said, you don't understand. People give Vince a hard time all the time. And I'm like, why? And they, and he told me, you know, oh, they say he doesn't do this. Or he doesn't. I'm like, really? I go, I was just joking. Tell him I was just joking. You know, I didn't want to, the least thing I would want to do ever was get you upset because you know we're pals you know we get along we 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 you you've always been there for me i mean i know every final table i've been to at the world poker tour i could see the heartbreak on your guys's face when i've got gotten knocked out and so i even though i know you're not supposed to be partial but you know you guys were always pulling for me and uh and uh i felt i felt as much heartache because i felt i i could i felt the heartache with you and mike feeling my pain and I know how much you guys wanted me to win. And so, uh, you know, I always appreciate that. And I, uh, you know, I appreciate everything you've done for poker. And I think it's, it's real important. I say it all the time for all the young kids coming up that instead of talking negative things about certain people, respect the people that pave the way for these you guys to make lots of money, you know, respect, respect how hard a guy like Vince and Mike and Helmuth and me and Daniel and Ivy and Doyle and so many people to bring poker where it is today, you know, and it's, uh, and, uh, these kids, you know, they just want so many of them, they just want, you know, especially on Twitter, it's all, I mean, I don't, I, Twitter's like, if you want to be in a bad mood, put on Twitter, all you'll hear is everybody said something talking negative about somebody. And it's, uh, I don't think it was really put in for that. I think it was put in for people to interact and make people happier. And I think it's yeah. took a wrong turn. And I think it's, uh, it's a, it needs to be monitored a little bit more closely now. So, 
Well, I agree, Mike. And then on the, uh, I think with, with, with commentating and all, um, I like to build people up. I like to build these players up. I don't like to tear them down. It's very easy to take a shot and say, oh, he played that thing. I don't right. want to do that. I want to keep it fun. I want to make them stars. So. Right. I agree with you. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like the funniest thing. It's like even like I, I lost a 90K pot on a live at the bike stream about six weeks ago, right? And the people people don't need to tell me how bad I play. You think I don't know how bad I played a hand? You think I don't know when I have a brain fart and misplay a hand? You know, but everybody wanted to focus on me losing an extra 35000 in the hand. But nobody wants to focus as after the hand I was ten thousand loser and I still won forty and won fifty thousand straight and stole thirty two thousand of it. Nobody will bring that up. They just wanna spread all kinds of negativity on Twitter about the one hand I misplayed. So, you know, that's just the way our society works and and uh people that are successful uh, and you know this, they want to look for ways to tear you down to make them feel better about themselves. I'll never right. forget. You know what? So, yeah. You know, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's like my father used to say that in poker. He goes, never, ever knock the player that's the loser, ever. Never right. knock a play at the table. Never. Because then you're just, you know, you're chasing the fish away. Do you right. want to win, maybe? Right. It's not up to me to say, hey, you made a bad move. How could you do that? Right. I'm upset because I lost this hand. It's not up to me. And in Doyle's book, uh, you know, yeah. um, uh, Super Systems, he has a whole chapter on that, too. Just be a professional. You know, be nice. Be yeah. courteous. Take your losses. Mike Sexton's a great professional. Todd yeah. Brunson. You know, these guys know what they're doing with that. Yeah. And it's so... It's the wrong thing to do out there, and you see a lot of it. And listen, I was in the games where very experienced pros would make the same mistake and chase away of course. very rich people that were very soft. Yeah. Chase them away. And, and it's like, oh, you think you're so smart. You just chased away uh, the fish at the table, you yeah. moron. Yeah. You know, it's, it's unbelievable to me how yeah. short-sighted they can Especially in this day and age. Like, back, like, pre like 2006, okay, when I was still dominating, right? I had no problem calling, making fun of people that came after me because because it didn't matter. There was so, nobody knew how to play. There, there were so many bad players, you know? And then once people, uh, once card runners came out and started teaching everybody, which, you know, there's a couple things I just wish they never taught anybody and they could have taught everybody all the bullshit and not given away a certain couple of secrets, but that's here and over there. And once everybody got good, I mean, I got my, my nickname because I talk shit to everybody. But once everybody got good, I don't talk shit to anybody except for maybe my people I've known for years. Like if we're playing high stakes poker like me, Daniel, Doyle, Phil, or people we all know. Now we're all front. We've known each other for years. When they misplay, we can make fun of them, and it's funny TV. You know what I'm saying? But I'll never. And that's where me and Phil, where I get uh, upset with them a lot. A lot of other people do is is in, and Phil. Work, in all honesty, if you if you know Phil now and knew him ten years ago, he's like a hundred times better. Than he was, you know, sure. and I, sure. and I, and I could not, I can't, I said, Phil, you can't attack people. He, you know, he's like, I, you know, and he does, he, he still, he does it a little bit, but he's cut way down. Like once people got good, yeah. like I, I, unless it's somebody I know that I can make fun of, uh, I don't ever, I'll never say anything negative to anybody because there's too many good players. So if you get a fish in the table, that's giving away money. I mean, why run him off? And, we you know this guy, uh, Ryan, that we call little shit. He always, he doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. He just always wants to insult people. And it's okay when we're all playing together, but when when there's a fish in the game, like, and that's why he doesn't get invited to the to the private game they have out here because, because and he gets all mad because he knows that Ryan can't keep his mouth shut and they don't want, they don't want to run out the guys that are, that are losing money. Right. You know, and so things are, you know, things are different. I'm a lot more quiet on the table now. Like I, I still talk a lot and become friends with everybody at the table because, you know, this is what I do. I want to, you know, I make, I make people laugh and I'm trying to make poker fun again, but you won't ever hear me say, how do you call me that? You, you know, or, or you play so bad, you know, you just never hear that out of me now. So, uh, you know, that's just, uh, you gotta, you gotta adjust to the times and stuff. 
So, yeah. well, yeah. man, this is uh, it's been a great interview, man. I, and I'm glad that uh, people uh, get a little bit of insight into uh, what, uh, how you grew up, how you, you know, with tennis, with, with the gambling. And uh, I, uh, I want to tell everybody out there to, if you're a poker player or a gambler, to go see this movie, um, Seven Days to Vegas, starring yours truly, Vince Van Patten. And uh, once again, uh, it's available. Tell them where it's all available on. Yeah, it's available Amazon and iTunes. And listen, I made it for gamblers like all of you out there that listen to Mike. You know, we all have, it's like a private club, basically. We all know what action is like and how to gamble and the fun things about gambling. So my heart's in this movie, Seven Days of Vegas, and you can rate it right now, and you will have some laughs. And it's like the hangover meets the sting, and you can watch it over and over. So thanks for the uh, let me plug it, and great talking to you, Mike. You too, buddy, and I appreciate it. Bye, man. All right, bye. The Mouthpiece. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Vince Van Patten. I thought it was really, really good. And uh, next week, we are going a little political as we are going to have the Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci on for episode 23 of the Mouthpiece. As you all know, he hates Trump. And uh, we are going to have a real fun debate. So tune in next week with Anthony Scaramucci here on the Mouthpiece. Goodbye, everybody.